Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have the second part of our TBI Tuesday. Today I will be sharing chapters three and four from TBI or CTE, What the Hell is Wrong with Me? This is narrated by Derek Dysart. I think you did an amazing job with it. hope you guys are enjoying it. Video listen to the start. Go back to the last episode, TBI Tuesday, part one. And that's the prologue, chapters one and two. I talk a little bit about afterwards. So let's get into it. TBI or CTE, What the Hell is Wrong with Me? Chapters three and four. Stick around afterwards. I'll talk a little bit about the chapters. Chapter 3 Vegas is always an interesting place for me to visit. It's a reminder of a reckless life full of drugs, alcohol, gambling, a failed marriage, and so very little sleep while I worked the graveyard shift as a correctional officer at a prison, and again as a juvenile probation officer. My diet back then had been atrocious, and my blood pressure so high that I'd been put on medication out of fear I was going to have a stroke. I was more nervous for this visit to the Cleveland Clinic because, in addition to undergoing another batch of testing, I'd arranged an interview with Dr. Burnick so we could discuss CTE and any changes in me. I was also worried about the headache I hadn't been able to kick for the past week, my poor sleep, impaired judgment, increased anger, and anxiety attacks. Just as I had on my first visit, I popped a cannabis gummy and went through the testing. I ate another one before the MRI and sitting down with Dr. Burnick afterward to go over my questions and concerns. Overall, I felt pretty good, my testing still high and no significant changes showing on the MRI. Burnick helped me realize that the lack of exercise and added stress combined with poor sleep was much more likely the cause of my headache and current symptoms than CTE. Although I had read up on chronic traumatic encephalopathy, I asked Dr. Burnick to explain what it was so I could better understand it. So we really don't know that much about it at the moment, he said, not a very reassuring start to the conversation. It is a progressive disease of the brain associated with repetitive head trauma. The problem is, most of what we know, what has come out from literature, is that everything is coming out from the brain bank, and nearly everyone in the brain bank has CTE. Defined pathologically, CTE is the presence of the protein tau in characteristic locations of the brain and around blood vessels, according to Dr. Burnick. He said, if you have that, it's called CTE, and that's very common if you have had a lot of head trauma. That's why 99 out of 100 pro football players have it. While some will suffer from the progressive disease where cells degenerate, tau spreads, and progressive dementia develops. Others who have had injury to the brain from repeated head trauma seem able to control and manage it. Others have a lot of head trauma and see no symptoms. Dr. Burning said one of the biggest problems with our understanding of this disease is that there is no method to predict or diagnose in a living person which of these courses they're going to take unless you follow them over time. That's where lots of the research is going, to diagnose those developing it and hopefully find ways to intervene. In other diseases, we learn from animals, but we don't have a good animal model that replicates the human. 
Not knowing the correct term, I asked if tau was poisonous or toxic. Is it the tau that causes the degeneration? Nobody knows if it's the marker of injury or it injures cells itself, Dr. Burnick said. Tau is a protein that's important in the maintenance of the structure of the brain cell fiber, and we know those fibers are the ones susceptible to injury from head trauma. Because the brain is squished around, the fibers are stretched and injured, so it's not surprising that tau gets malformed or misshaped and can accumulate. The question is if it spreads and injures other cells. What really separates the tau found in CTE from the tau in Alzheimer's is location. You see it around blood vessels and at the depths of the sulci, so it's very superficial in the brain and can be scattered about. In Alzheimer's, the tau starts in the temporal lobe and moves from there. With CTE, it's more diffuse and scattered. I asked Dr. Burnick what approaches he thought might be worthwhile. The first theory he mentioned was targeting the chronic inflammation in the brain, which I was glad to hear since I was only weeks away from trying this with Dr. Gordon's protocol. He also mentioned that drugs that remove tau and amyloid seem promising, as well as those that help stabilize nerve cell membranes. He said there could be a lot of different strategies and drugs available, just at the moment we don't have any evidence that these strategies work. When asked what advice he'd pass on to fighters or anyone worried about brain health, he said, Active fighters need to change their training, just like the NFL has done. Without question, the most significant factor in determining CTE or any of these conditions is the amount of exposure you have. Going all out in sparring is not a great idea. If you get your bell rung, you need to take time off. So if there is inflammation, you need to let it settle down. If you've had a concussion, it's going to be easier to cause another one. People just have to be smart. Smart on training. How many fights they have a year, so that's how active fighters can prolong their career and reduce the chance of long-term effects. For fighters who have retired, he said the procedure is to use what is already known about brain health. Two of the biggest factors that have helped the brain in other diseases are adequate sleep and aerobic exercise. 40 minutes, 4 to 5 days a week, with a heart rate at 70%. Dr. Burnick said that diet may be important, supplements not so much. He stressed the importance of getting nutrients from natural sources such as vegetables, berries, dry fruit, and fish. He also recommended staying away from things like alcohol and marijuana that may not help the cause. I had no comment. Dr. Burnick stressed the power of the brain and its plasticity. He said keeping active, training the brain, and mindfulness techniques are huge and can help individuals deal with depression and other symptoms. I asked Dr. Burnick his thoughts on the appropriate age to play contact sports and whether recent rule changes have made sports much safer. Although he's glad to see advancements in protecting fighters and players, he pointed out that so much of it rests on individuals admitting they'd had a concussion. I assume if you don't play or fight, someone else is going to get your position. There's an incentive to not tell anyone about your concussion. I'd experienced that firsthand, rarely telling coaches of concussions for fear I'd be benched, not to mention I often looked at it as a weakness. As for the age, Dr. Burnick said, this is kind of tricky. 
In football, studies suggest that those who start younger did a little worse with the brain. Same with fighters. The brain is developing at this time, so it probably makes sense to hold off any contact sports until you've gone through teen years. The professional fighter study was going on its seventh year and is very promising, but Dr. Bernick reminded me that CTE, Alzheimer's, and such are diseases that evolve over decades, so they're very hard to track. He stressed how important it is to intervene early and that the recovery must be part of your lifestyle. I thank Dr. Bernick for his time and for the wonderful work he dedicated his life to. I promised I'd be back in a year for another follow-up. Chapter 4 A few weeks after returning from the Cleveland Clinic, I was on a Skype conference call with Dr. Allison Gordon, Dr. Mark Gordon's daughter, a naturopathic doctor, and the co-founder of Live Natural Health in San Diego. Before we went over my history, Dr. Allison gave me a quick rundown on the Millennium Neuroregenerative Centers and its goals. She explained that when we suffer an injury, whether knockout, blast wave, repetitive gunfire, car accident, or a simple blow to the head, two things happen. First is the immediate structural damage that causes tearing of long nerves and microvascular structures. The second follows immediately with biochemical reactions that cause inflammation in the brain. This inflammation continues to evolve over time and expands the damage to other areas of the brain, overwhelming its ability to defend itself. Oxidative stress with free radical damage alters important biochemical processes and we find it difficult to regulate cognitive and behavioral functions. Our memory and ability to learn go down as our anger, depression, and irritability increase. It also causes insomnia, fatigue, headaches, diminished libido, disorientation, and alcohol and drug abuse. As the inflammation increases, the brain's ability to produce and regulate hormones goes down. The loss of neurosteroids such as progesterone, testosterone, and a dozen others makes the ability to recover very difficult. Essentially, TBIs can cause premature aging, and it's estimated that there are close to 5 million people walking around with the residual effects from them, with 2 million new cases each year. Most treatments simply mask the symptoms, but at Millennium, they focus on reducing the inflammation in the brain and regulating these hormones. After the overview, we went over my history, symptoms, questions, concerns, and hopes. Then we dove into my blood chemistry, which she said was consistent with someone who has had multiple TBIs. Dr. Allison also reminded me that she and her colleagues aren't like other doctors who disregard low or high numbers simply because they fall within the reference range. For example, normal values of pregnenolone for people over 18 years range between 33 and 248 nanograms per deciliter. If my results came back at 40, many doctors would say it wasn't an issue because I was within the acceptable range. At Millennium, they bring patients to the median number or higher, which generally results in much better functioning. As for my specifics, here are the items that were not ideal and what they influence. DHEAS the precursor to testosterone and estrogens, was low normal, 
DHEAS helps protect the heart, reduce inflammation in the brain, increase myelin production, increase growth hormone, or GH, and mood elevation. Free testosterone was low normal. This form of testosterone is the most important as it is the form that gets into cells and into the brain. In males, testosterone is associated with mental functioning, energy level, libido, sense of well-being, learning, memory, body fat and muscle proportions, cholesterol levels, bone density, and tissue healing. Progesterone was low normal. This hormone's active metabolite, allopregnenolone, is neuroprotective, neuroregenerative, and improves nerve-to-nerve -nerve communication at the synapse. The hormone also removes free radicals that cause damage and increases the production of gamma-immunobutyric acid, or GABA, which has a calming effect. The neuroprotective pregnenolone was low normal. Interruption in this hormone will lead to a diminution in many other hormones. Both follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, and luteinizing hormone, LH, which reflect the body's ability to make testosterone from the testes, were low normal. Prolactin, a marker for hypothalamic pituitary functioning, was low normal. This also contributes to lower testosterone. Vitamin D was extremely low. It is a marker of good bone development, repair, and health. Research is showing it can also decrease depression, dementia, Alzheimer's, and cancer, protects the heart, stimulates the immune system, reduces inflammation, and improves fine muscles and bone density in addition to having many other benefits. To correct the imbalances and achieve optimal levels, Dr. Gordon prescribed Clomid, a pill taken every three days that helps the testes produce more testosterone. The other supplements I was directed to take were all over-the-counter. Ultra-Nutrient, DHEA, Pregnenolone, Ultra-B Complex with PQQ, Vitamin D3 10,000 IU, NAC 900, and Ultra-Synergist E. I was also given a bottle of Dr. Mark Gordon's Clear Mind and Energy which I hope could replace my morning caffeine. My caffeine consumption was very high and dangerous for someone who didn't work out regularly but was very active on training days. The other thing I went over with Dr. Allison was my use of cannabis, which made complete sense to her after seeing my blood work. Although she did not have a problem with patients consuming cannabis, she said I should be aware that my use would probably go down once I began the protocol. I didn't believe her, but said I would keep an eye on it. While I waited for the supplements to arrive, I returned to my normal routine, which also included weekly therapist visits. As part of this book, I had wanted to find a mental health professional who could assess me and my personality and then monitor how I responded to the different types of treatments I would attempt. Dr. Norman Doge's book had ingrained in me that cognitive therapy could rewire the brain. Perhaps it could also help me figure out why I've always been so dark and spent most of my life hating myself. But the real reason I finally began seeing someone was that my marriage needed it. Over the last few years, my wife and I had become roommates, partners raising our kids. After a frustrating search and a handful of psychologists who wouldn't return calls, 
I connected with Mark Harris from Harris Marriage and Family Therapy in La Habra. Prior to my session with Mark, I'd only been to therapy as an adult twice, both visits in Vegas when that marriage was crumbling. Although I didn't stick with that therapist, he made me realize I was a perfectionist and would never be happy unless that changed. That understanding has been huge, so I went into this new therapy with a healthy mindset. Before we got into much of anything else, Mark pointed out all the ways in which I'd been failing as a husband. Not intentionally failing, but still failing. He had me read The Female Brain by neuropsychiatrist Luann Brizendine and help me understand what it is that women need. It also pointed out how my attempts to solve my wife's problems so she wouldn't feel pain were actually causing more pain by not validating her feelings, something Jen said over and over, with me denying it every time. I took Mark's advice and began making changes and seeing improvement in our relationship, but I was still dealing with all the other issues, covering them up with excessive cannabis use and my mind flying on caffeine. We dug into my childhood, and I began to see the source of lots of my darkness and anger. But it didn't make anything go away. I assumed it was going to take a while. As a fun little exercise to see how screwed up I was, Mark had me take the Millen Clinical Multi-Axial Inventory 3 test. Here are the items that I scored high on. Avoidant, 71. Narcissistic, 67. Antisocial, 79. Sadistic, 69. Alcohol dependence, 75. Drug dependence, 81. The only reason the alcohol dependence ranked so high was because of the questions asking about past behavior. I was most definitely a heavy drinker from 15 to 35 years old. Mark also had me do an interesting self-assessment of my fears and reactions. For those of you who've always dreamed of upsetting me, here are my top fears and triggers. Rejection. I'm not necessary. I feel unwanted. Disconnected. Emotionally detached or separated. Like a failure. Not successful at being a husband, father, author. I'm not good enough. Coming in right behind them were... Defective. Something's wrong with me. I'm the problem. Inadequate. I'm not capable or competent. Invalidated. Who I am, what I think, what I do, and how I feel are not valued. Unloved. The other person doesn't care about me. Worthless. I am useless. I have no value to the other person. Now, here's how I'm going to react if you do trigger me. Don't say you weren't warned. My worst reactions and defenses are... Passive-aggressive. I display negative emotions in passive ways, such as becoming stubborn. Escalation. My emotions spiral out of control. I argue, raise my voice, and fly into a rage. Rationalization. I attribute my behavior to credible motives. Next up, but nearly just as high, were indifference. I'm cold and show no concern. Minimization. The other person is overreacting to an issue. I downplay it. Sarcasm. I use negative humor, hurtful words, or demeaning statements. 
numbing out. I become devoid of emotion or have no regard for others' emotion. Acting out. I engage in negative behaviors such as alcohol and drug abuse, overeating. Anger and rage. I display strong feelings of displeasure and have uncontrolled emotions. Withdrawal. I avoid others or alienate myself without resolution. Blaming. I place the responsibility on others and I don't accept fault. Invalidation. I devalue the other person and their thoughts, feelings, and actions. Defensiveness. I defend myself before listening to the argument. Essentially, I'm a scared little boy who lashes out at others. In my brain journal, I wrote that therapy had seemed to reduce my overall anger and anxiety, but it was still there. The supplements came from Dr. Allison's office the second week of June, and within a few days of being on the protocol, I found myself using less and less cannabis, noting that it made me feel too anxious. Every day, I cut back a little more, trying to find the sweet spot, using about half of my former amount at the two-week mark. About that same time, I found myself crying in the backyard, not because anything was wrong, but because I felt no sense of ill ease. This was the first time I'd ever realized just how terrible my symptoms had been. Not having the weight of the incredibly high levels of anger, depression, and irritability was stunning. After another two weeks on the protocol, I felt as if I were in the best emotional place I'd ever been with a mental clarity I'd been lacking. Summer was uneventful, largely thanks to a shoulder injury keeping me out of competition and training. Despite the injury, my overall mood was much better. I had, however, regained my cannabis tolerance and was overindulging to mask symptoms. With the start of the school year, I began attending classes at Downey Yoga to help my physical and mental well-being, a much-needed stress release. In October, we redid my blood work for Dr. Allison and saw that all my levels had improved over the six months, but my free testosterone and IGF-1 were still low normal. We were on the right track, and I did feel much better. The other thing I did in October was go sober, sticking with it for a full 40 days despite my intention to only do 30. At first, not having any cannabis was rough on both me and my family, but by the end, I felt like I could live without it if I had to. In November, I did a stem cell injection for my shoulder, and the next month I released the advanced copies of my latest novel, Ain't No Messiah. Life was good, and I felt like I was successfully managing my work and family. With regular yoga and bi-weekly therapy sessions, my life felt back on track. With things running smoothly, I focused on my physical health and writing my bright side sequels. Thoughts of the brain book pushed to the side. Then, one day in April, while flipping through Facebook, I discovered that Michael Poorman, a former teammate from Brown University, was in a losing battle against leukemia. Michael had written to me a year and a half earlier to disclose he'd been diagnosed with CTE symptoms and was a participant in the legacy study at the Mayo Clinic. Never one to mince words, he said, My brain is fucked. Michael's message, along with those of a few other offensive linemen suffering with brain issues, led me to start this book. I'd never followed up with him on it, but 
Now that he was dying, I wanted to do anything I could to at least let him know I was thinking of him. I offered to help him write a story that he could give to friends and family at a celebration of life party Michael had planned in July. A few weeks later, we finally talked on the phone. I was at the park playing with my son, and Michael explained his situation and just how bad his brain problems had been. It was a sobering talk, and I shared how inspired I was by the way he was living his life and dealing with impending death. When I asked him if he'd like to be in this book, he said he would, but only if he agreed with the approach I'd be taking with it. After I told him my angle, he said he'd love to help any way he could and invited me up to Astoria, Oregon, to spend a few days with him and his family. When I got off the phone, I was looking at Summer and my son in a whole different light. All right, hopefully you guys are digging it so far. Yeah, Chapter 3, Vegas. That was a an interesting time in my life. Anytime I go there, I always think back to... Uh, Lots of the stuff I was doing there, just shit, the terrible diet, sleep, overall health. I still remember when I was working juvenile probation, walking down the hallway one night and my equilibrium was all off. I went to the nurse and she checked my blood pressure. It was like sky high. She's like, you need to go to the doctor like right now, uh, immediately, like first thing in the morning, because otherwise you're going to have a stroke. I was very, very unhealthy, taking all kinds of abuse, not sleeping at all, just a terrible, terrible uh, recipe for disaster. So going there is always a little interesting. Talking with Dr. Bernick was uh, awesome. Again, I would pay attention to what he's saying. You know, here is a doctor that has spent his life studying the brain. He knows it is not good for developing brains to take a lot of impact, whether that's from football, whether that's heading the the ball in soccer, whether that is taking blows and kickboxing or whatever else, if you're underage, uh, if your kids are 14 and under, for sure, I would say no, especially now. I talked to Dr. Burnick. This is a conversation that's probably like five years old. So much has been discovered since the CLF. I think, I forget what the numbers are, but for every year that you play tackle football before the age of 14, your chances of getting CT are sky high. So if you have kids that are playing some kind of contact sport, I would definitely look into the new science and see what studies are showing as far as CTE, traumatic brain injuries, all that kind of stuff. Also, very important to remember that traumatic brain injuries, um, you know, I, I don't want the focus to be all on CTE because I think that could be something that develops. But the biggest thing, the overall problem is the traumatic brain injuries that start the entire process. So I like to focus on that. With chapter four, it was cool to finally meet Dr. Allison Gordon, which is Dr. Mark Gordon's daughter. She went over all my results, you know, let me know that everything was consistent with someone that had multiple TBIs. Um, very hopeful. It was a great conversation. I was feeling good talking to her. And then the importance of going in and doing therapy. I did not want to go and do therapy. Really, I wanted someone to look at me, you know, just see how I was doing. That's because I was so, yeah, I wasn't aware of everything else that was going on. I wasn't aware of all the problems in my marriage. I wasn't aware I'd been blocking shit or I, whatever, because I'm always high and escaping. Whatever the things were, I was figuring it wasn't an issue. But that is why I went. I'm so glad I did. I found out a lot about myself. I think it's 
very important to take an honest look at yourself doing those those little tests that mark had me do were you know pretty useful the millen clinical multi-axial inventory three test because one thing to say eh, i'm kind of like this i'm kind of like that but when you do the test and you're like okay how am i really am i really am i like this or am i like that and then seeing the numbers come out and putting it right in front of you and then also the other really good thing was looking at those triggers looking at those reactions because something that i've discovered since is even after well here's spoiler alert but i do fix my brain a little bit but even after improvements i still have symptoms right i still have you know I, my emotional control isn't that great yet you know it's stuff that needs to be worked on developed but also i have to look at those triggers i'm like okay I've been reacting this way for so long to this trigger, like even though my emotional control is way better, I'm still gonna have that same reaction until I switch it. So that's what I've been working on with hypnosis and different things. But I think this part, chapter four, something to really be aware of is like, okay, taking a good look at ourselves. Who are we? Where are we at? Are we okay with that? And then also just like, yeah, what, what, what would be so bad about seeing a therapist? Like, even if it was just to be like, to check in and maybe have one or two conversations like okay i just want to make sure like i'm cool you know here's some things that i deal with is this normal is this not normal what can i do to do help with this but again do whatever you want this is what i did i just think i didn't realize at the start of this book how important the therapy portion portion of it was going to be it's probably something i didn't put enough time into i spent more time working on the physical and the you know neurological stuff so that's one of the lessons that I'm learning now and passing on to you guys. And we're not even there yet. All right. So that was chapters three and four next week, next Tuesday, we will hit chapters five and six. If you guys have questions, anything like that, shoot them my way. That way I could answer them on here. Otherwise I will just be back on here on Friday for episode 166. You do not want to miss it. I have Brian Asman, super positive, awesome interview. Really cool. So whether or not you're a fan of horror, I would say, tune into it. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next week. Later.